You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life. Come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome back, everyone, for our Sunday Gospel Reflections here at the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you are not a member of the ICC, you are now, by just going over to the Institute website, putting your email so that we can let you know what's coming up. It's free of charge. You get access to everything. But of course, and you get these in your inbox, so you never forget about them. Exactly. So if you're just stumbling upon us here out on the internet, you know, searching the internet, and God graced you by letting you stumble upon us, uh, may God have mercy on your soul uh, <laughs> if you make it through the next hour. But we're very yeah. welcoming of foreigners. Absolutely. Isaiah 56. Come on, right here. Yes. 20th no, actually, Sunday in right ordinary here. time. Get yes. out your Bibles. We're going to give you the passages now that we're going to be looking at for this coming Sunday. Indeed. The first reading is from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 56. We got verse 1 and then verses 6 and 7. The responsorial psalm is Psalm 67. The gospel is taken from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. And then the epistle, get this. Okay, so Romans chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. And then we skip all the way down to verses 29 through 32. There we have it. So there you have it. Those are the passages. Shall we get started in Isaiah chapter 56? Isaiah 56, verse 1. Verse 1. We're going to do 56 verse 1 and then skip to verse 50 verse sorry verse 6. Verse so it's six, a little yeah. bit of a jump jump for you there if you're if you have your bibles open which you should have but um mm-hmm. yeah. Here we go. Verse 1. Go ahead. All right, here we go. Thus says the Lord, observe what is right, do what is just, for my salvation is about to come, my justice about to be revealed. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord ministering to him loving the name of the Lord and becoming his servants, all who keep the Sabbath free from profanation and hold to my covenant, them I will bring to my holy mountain and make joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Okay. There you have it. You see? So therefore, uh, it doesn't matter what you do or what your lifestyle is or which pronouns you choose. Everyone's in, man. Right? That's this is this is a great proof text for no, I'm kidding. Okay, for those who are new to the ICC, this is not the direction we're taking this. Okay. First of all, we need to contextualize where we're at right in Isaiah. So let's do that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we've talked about this before, but for the benefit of anybody who's new and just as a refresher, you know, we talk about the breakdown of the book of Isaiah and then, of course, where this passage falls in there. That's right. And to do that, you just got to go back to chapter one, verse one, which you're going to contextualize to Second Kings, you know, well... <laughs> I didn't go do your research for you. Uh, I'm not going to do that for you right now, but you're going to go back to second Kings and locate. This is of course, right there in the middle of second Kings, but Ahaz, you see the vision he has during the time of the King. So if you're going to come back, you're going to see King Hezekiah for, as an example. So, right. We're going to come back, of course, always to the first chapter, chapter one, verse one of the prophet, okay. the prophet t- gives you a timestamp. So you can just go to the, the vision, which came in the days of, 
Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So I'm just going to go ahead and flip back to 2 Kings and do a little bit of just scrolling through my 2 Kings because I haven't memorized which chapters and which kings, but you're going to see them there because they're highlighted for you because you have been highlighting your Bible. Notice how this works. I can literally just flip some pages and all of a sudden, bingo, chapter 16, verse 1, I see the name Ahaz pop up. I flip back to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, I see Ahaz, and there's, I know I'm in my timestamp, right? So there I'm going to go in and read my chapters. Okay, now those that have been with the ICC long enough, you're like, Father Hezekiah, you keep saying the same thing, which is go back to the, being your prophet. But you know what? That's what we're here for. So if you're bored of this Bible study, then get out. But if you're not and you want to learn something about the word of God, then get in. And that's well, what you're if you're bored do. with this Bible study, get out and teach others how to do this. Exactly. If you're equipped already. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you, Annie, for putting a good spin on it. I just <laughs> throw people out. Annie actually gives people a mission. Here we are in Second Kings. But the, my point is this, that it's not just a matter of knowing the timestamp. It's a matter of going to reading those chapters. Yes. So you yes. kind of know what's going on in the life of Israel in the time of the prophet. And of course, not good. It's not good. Right. I mean, you've got Hezekiah in Second Kings chapter 18. And uh, Hezekiah is, of course, one of the few righteous, uh, righteous kings. But if you go back to chapter 17, verse 33, you'll see things aren't all that great, right? They mm-hmm. worship the false gods and all this nonsense. And so you got it all there. There's your time. There's your context. They're a bunch of heathens worshiping false gods and throwing a little incense to Yahweh on the side. Okay. And now this is where Isaiah comes in and Isaiah splits for us in the most basic division of Isaiah, right down the middle in chapter 40, chapters one through 40, you're all going to hell in a handbasket because you're worshiping false gods. And the chapter 40 following, don't worry, even though you've gone into hell in a handbasket, God is merciful and he hasn't given up on you, which pretty Mm. much tells the story of my life and probably the story of most people in this Bible study. And so, so Isaiah is very applicable to our lives, but now we have this passage in chapter 56, chapter 56. And to contextualize that, my brothers and sisters, we can simply go to chapter 40 and just hit a couple things. I'm just going to really, I'm literally hitting my highlights now with you. Chapter 40, verse one and following is quite well known. That's your hinge point. Comfort, comfort my people. Yes. You all know that because John quotes this, right? John the Baptist quotes this text. Okay. But now look at this. Look at this in chapter 40, 40, verse 9. Get up to a high mountain, O Sion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift up, fear not. Behold your God. Behold your God comes mighty, right? Well, when's the last time we heard about Sion? Well, it's burning in chapter 25, right? Sion's another name for right. Jerusalem, or at least one of the hills within Jerusalem. So there you have it. Second Kings chapter 25, everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Jerusalem sacked. And now there's hope, but now we can just flip. I'm going to flip my, my Bible to, I don't know, chapter 45, let's say 45, 45 verse 22. There, there we have a little, I've got a highlighted 45 verse 22. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. Okay. So all the ends of the earth is is, is a sense that Isaiah now that God is telling there is something that's going to be taking place here. And that is, he's not only going to save Sion, he's about to restore everything, right? And uh, we've looked at these passages before. Chapter 52, verse 10, I made a note of just because it is, yeah, verse 10, 52, verse 10. Yes, 52, verse 10. The Lord has bared his holy arm for the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Okay, 55, 55 verse 5. Behold, you shall call nations that you that you know not and nations that knew you not shall run to you. Okay, and that pretty much gives it there, guys. I mean, there's lots more you can cover in Isaiah, but gives you the sense that the restoration from the Babylonian exile is going to be more than just a return. There's going to be a time when all of the nations come and worship. Now, we get the first indication of this, of course, in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter, it's the last chapter of 2 Chronicles. Chapter 35, 36, 36. 
verse 22, which you should read the verses above it, of course. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord might, mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred the spirit of Cyrus, a pagan king, right? And then in Ezra, turn your page of your Bible, Ezra chapter 1, this, this continues on. And now Cyrus, the king of Persia, gives them gold to go build the temple in Jerusalem and uh and and all and and so forth okay so this is this is all that's kind of leading into this business and here we are in 56 verse 1 in isaiah 56 verse 1 thus says the lord so again for those that are new to icc we've got this big time period 500 years give or take in which god's people are expecting a a, a restoration of all things and bigger than that it's going to be it's going to be awesome right god's going to god's going to exercise his power in a mighty way and sure it looks like it's going to it happens when when cyrus converts but the problem a problem that will now happen for 500 years is the people themselves do not convert right so while god brings about a conversion of Cyrus and and the, almost a beginning, it seems like, of what is prophesied by Isaiah, the people are un, un, are unable to get there, yeah? yeah, and that's ultimately the problem, the situation that that is that that comes across five centuries, five hundred years to Christ. So you want to understand the gospel? There it is. The people are not really faithful. God's people are not faithful. All the time. There are converts coming in, right? And I, I just, I think this can speak to our ICC family here a little bit because it's in so many ways that time period is so applicable to today in which there's like these converts coming to church. They're fired up, you know? But then you've got your average soup out there. Yeah. And they're wondering why they're not getting vocations and they're wondering why the churches are closing and they were like that and, and, and then yet these converts are coming in. And that's what is going on here in Isaiah, okay? And this hmm. it takes a little unpacking to see this, but uh, it's going to be very applicable, of course, to the gospel that we're going to look at here. But take a look at 56, verse 1. And what we need to do here is we need to look at the verses in between, Annie. Yeah. Okay. Because a lot of times you skip a couple of verses and you kind of lose the, the connection, right? Yeah. So why don't you read us verse 1 through 6, and that way we've got our bridge. Okay. All right. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, which shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. So who are these people? Yeah, that's what I mean. That was going to be my next question. Who are these foreigners? Verse three, let not the foreigner who continues to worship the Baal or Paca Mama, join himself. No, for those who have joined themselves to the Lord, right, who are following the teachings of the Lord. Of course, this is fundamental. Fun, you know, and this is, this is where the, the media wants to paint the church as, oh, we're, we're so against, we're, we're, we hate people. The church hates no one. The church hates sin. Yes, As it well rejects <laughs> sin because the church knows that we are made for more than that and therefore calls us like any good mother to a higher state. You see, if a child were to do something bad 
and the mother were to affirm the child in their badness, the mother of that child ought to be arrested and no longer be allowed to quote mother the child because she's not fulfilling her duty. Yeah. So the church does not accompany the sinner in their sin. The church accompanies the sinner in their salvation. Fundamentally different. Yeah. And we're going to see that also in the gospel account and most very clearly in the epistle, which is given to us today. But there it is, Annie, the context of what's going on. Well, I should ask the question, why? Yes, why? Yeah. Yeah. And and the, and the scriptures give us a clear answer to this. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 7. And this is just one little example of what's going on okay for you know, Israel is a small nation and and they find themselves in the soup of these bigger pagan nations right so it's very easy to be assimilated into the majority culture and so when God is going to bring his people out of the exodus and he's going to bring them into the promised land say I got to I got to be careful these people as they enter into and they they set up they set up shop in this majority pagan culture. It's very easy for them to be paganized again, like Egypt. And so I've got to make sure that they are protected against these evils so that they can be who God intends them to be, Okay, which is ultimately a light to the nations. And we can talk about that in just a second. But take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. We're going to read from verse 1, Annie. Mm-hmm. And let's just read down from verse one, and then I'll stop you when I want to stop you here. Okay. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, Parasites? the Jebusites, Parasites. <laughs> Parasites? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was a joke, he- everyone. How would you how would you pronounce P E? You did it right. I was just giving you a hard time. Keep reading. The Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than yourselves. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not make marriages with them giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. Why not? I mean, this just doesn't seem to be nice. You know, I mean, this is the mean God, right? Okay. My son thinks I'm mean too all the times. Okay. But I I do things for them because I love them, not because I'm mean, because I want the best for them. Right. And so what's the next verse say? Go ahead. Oh, sorry. If you, if you do this, Okay, this is verse four. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. So in God's mercy, and now now here's here's another aspect of this thing we have to remember, that the whole goal, the identity of Israel is for the sake of these people, right? It's for the sake of the Jebusites and the Parasites okay, and the, the Hittites so that they can bring about the salvation. Israel is a seed, a beginning of what God wants for the whole world. Yes. And that's what we're kind of looking at today. And take a look, flip back with me to Genesis chapter 12. And the calling of Abraham. And what was the purpose of the calling of Abraham, who is the father of, of God's people, here in chapter in, in chapter 12? Verse 1, Annie, verse 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, 
and him who curses you, I will curse. And by you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. Okay, so th there you have it. Abraham's calling was for this purpose, that he would be a blessing. Of course, when a thing is blessed, it is made holy, right? It receives right. the attribute of the eternal God. And so Abraham's going to be a conduit and, and Israel is going to be a conduit. The whole purpose of the calling of Israel is not for Israel. It's for the sake of all nations, right? And we pick this theme up then in Isaiah. So we're going to flip back to Isaiah because that's where we're at today. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. We're going to go Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42, verse, well, look at verse one, and then we can jump, jump down. Look at verse one, because this is a famous okay. passage. Isaiah chapter 42, verse one, behold my servant. Are you with me there, Annie? Yep, I'm Isaiah here. 42, verse one, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations and so forth. This is, of course, a prophecy of the coming Messiah. I'm gonna come down to verse five. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth, what comes from and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to, to the people, a light. Nations. Hello, gospel of Matthew. Yeah. You are the light of the world. Jesus is quoting. Isaiah and making reference to the expectation of the prophets that when the Babylonian exile finally ends, not only when they return from the promised land, but when the exile itself ends, which continues on, even though they're in the land, right? I mean, right. we can flip very quickly and you guys are like, oh, stop turning the Bible. Zechariah, I think it's Zechariah. Um, I didn't write this down before, but I'm in Ezra and then, uh, not Zechariah, I'm sorry, Nehemiah. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah give us this return from Babylon. And notice in Nehemiah, I'm in chapter nine, Nehemiah chapter nine, they return from the promise, they return from Babylon with the gold of, of Cyrus to rebuild the temple. Everything's going to be great, looking fantastic for them. But look, they get back and look at verse 30, 36, chapter Nehemiah 9, 36, behold, we are slaves this day in the land that thou gavest to our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And we don't need to get into the reasons too much as far as I'm not going to turn you there. But the reason that they're slaves in their own land is because they themselves have put themselves into slavery. They have not returned to the Lord. And it's only in the Lord that they're going to find true freedom. Yeah. So this is the situation they find themselves in that time period between the Babylonian exile and the coming of the Messiah, which drives their expectation of what's going to happen. And yet that expectation, like you and I sit back and we're looking at the prophets. We're like, oh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus man, yeah. they should have gotten it. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at Catholics today. Yeah. You should have gotten it, but, but this is, but, but here we are. So they struggle with the ideas that the prophets are presenting to them, that vision of the coming of the Messiah and the reality of that and what that looks like on the ground. You mean those guys that burned our temple are going to be worshiping, worshiping with us side by side. Yeah. You mean those people that, took advantage of be nice about it our daughters you're gonna let them in to my house those people that made the women at the time of the babylonian captivity cannibalize their babies because they were starving to death inside the city walls of jerusalem when that was a 36 month siege was laid to it there you want me to eat with those people i can't i can't so you have to understand the human nature part of this. Yeah. And we'll just turn to one final text, which is Zechariah. That's why I said Zechariah earlier. Zechariah chapter 14. And by the way, if you guys ever give up turning your Bibles with me, don't. Half of what we're doing here, half what we're doing here is just getting comfortable. Right. So yeah. just the practice, it's a spiritual practice to be turning your Bibles. 
it's a it's a spiritual exercise to be just putting things together understanding the picture i love understanding the bigger picture just being able to flip your bibles with comfort again it's kind of like getting your 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 driver's permit you know i'm I'm teaching my son right now uh to, to get his driver's permit and he's and he's and he's just learning like cutting the corners kind of weird and he's learning he's putting the brake on it <laughs> That's what we're like with, unfortunately, today. And we got to get comfortable with it again. So that's yeah. part of it. So just struggle along with it. Just yeah. struggle along with it. Well, that's what the pause it. button's for, too. Yes. And, and that's what your tabs in your Bible are not for. Rip out that stupid table of contents and your tabs that are in your Bible that are making you a weak Catholic. Yeah. You should kind of get a sense of where Zechariah is. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and that way you're ready to go. So, but look at Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. Zechariah 14, verse 16, then, and the then that's referred to as when, when the Messiah comes, then everyone that survives of all the nations, of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king. Notice they've come against Jerusalem. These are the guys. They're going to they're gonna start worshiping God, right? All our enemies. And that's nice in the, you know, big sense of things. But when they start coming and that's the problem, right? right? And 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 so here's the point. It's going to be our bridge for us. And I'm sorry, Annie, I didn't even let you ask any questions. And so I may not have answered any great. questions. Yeah. Keep going. Here's here's the thing: is that all during this time, during the Babylonian exile, and the time after it, the there's all these Jews that are in the diaspora. They're out in Alexandria. They're up in Greece. There's right. still some in Babylon, and there's people being attracted to them. They're called the proselytes, those people that are, they're not born as Jews, but they are following the law. And the Jews are kind of like, I like it that you like Yahweh, but I still don't trust you. So they're given kind of a a second class citizenship in, in Judaism of the time. They're not really allowed in. And when they come to the temple to worship, they're kind of stuck in the outer court right? The court of the Gentiles, which is ultimately where the Pharisees set up the money changers because they don't even want them there, right? The whole thing about turning over the money changers about these people, they set up the thing in the court of the Gentiles so that the Gentiles couldn't come in. And so they're, they're like keeping them out, keeping them out. Jesus comes in and rips them out to get the hell out of here. You got to get, this is, I want them coming in. This is what it's all about. And so that's what sets up this problem. Now, we, we got it. We ask ourselves, why now? Why is the church putting this before us right now? Right? Because we're in the time of Pentecost still. Yes. The yeah. church is encountering. And I tell you, it's really cool. In my own parish, it's so exciting. These people coming in, there's people checking us out. The, just the last couple of weeks, the two young people in their 20s come from heathen backgrounds. One, the, his family fled out of China because they wanted to have more children. Wow. Another young lady, total secular background, didn't grow up with anything. Uh, and they're like, they're standing around. They're like, they're starting, she's, they're keeping the fast with us. These are the proselytes. They're, they're keeping the fast. They're about ready to be enrolled into the catechumenate. I'm waiting to see if they're they're legitimate, if they're going to stay with us, right? And then enroll them into the catechumenate. What's happening right now, because right now, the church is living a time, it's living during the time of Pentecost. That's what I expect. During this time of year, there's going to be some people coming that are Gentiles, that are that are really outside the family. They're not just, you know, Protestants or or whatever the case may be. They're already dedicated Christians or, you know, or in my case, a Byzantine church, Roman Catholics looking for rich liturgy and things like that. That happens, of course. But, but here, there's, Honest to God, Gentiles coming. And because we're living this time of Pentecost, so the church places before us these things to say, hey, how are you acting in relationship to those around you? Are you keeping your, your, your cross? And I can't fit it inside. Your cross inside your shirt, you know, keeping your head down. Okay, just I'm just going to be a faithful, diehard, super trad Catholic. And those guys are lost. And I can't. <clears throat> you are the living temple, the living God, a light to the nations. And if you don't live out your identity as a baptized Christian, do you think God's going to have any more mercy on you than he had on Israel who refused? He's going to turn out over the tables. He's going to come in your life and turn over those tables. Your mission is to go and do that. Now, we got to look at this gospel and we're going to start to fill this whole thing out. But that's why in the context right now of our liturgical year, we're being given this. Absolutely. So let's look at the responsorial psalm just quickly. 
Oh, God, let all the nations praise you. Yeah. Well, there it is. (laughs) You know, but you better be singing it. I want everyone in. You know, there was a a, a really nice uh, quotation from Pope Francis. He was on the airplane. Now, I'm not always a big fan of Pope Francis' interviews on the airplane, but it's all on the news now. Pope Francis says gays can come into the church. That's the thing. I'm not using any derogatory terms. It's in the news, right? Right. But they they kind of put in like smaller type what he says after. He says, but there are rules. Yep. Yeah. So I don't care who you are. I don't care what kind of sinner you are. I don't care how bad it's been. I don't care how far you've gone. You're in the pig pen of the prodigal son. God wants you in his family because you are made in the image and likeness of God. But that means something. It means he's going to give you a new nature to have a new life. Not to go back into the pig pen. Not to worship Paca Mama again. Not to get involved in homosexuality again. Put away the pornography. Put away the drugs. Put it all behind you because you're made for more than that. The church, the gathering of God's people is made for you it's for your home but don't expect to get there and find it to be what your former life was like there is a way of life here and it's the way of god it is not the way of the devil salvation history is a battle between the sons of god and the sons of the devil and this is why in deuteronomy chapter 7 The Lord says, don't have anything to do with those people because they will lead your heart astray. You be careful. Don't be going and eating with them. Don't be playing games with them. Don't be, because what's going to happen? You're going to worship Baal. You're going to worship Paka Mama. Don't go and walk alongside them. You go and be a light to the nations to convert them to truth, to bring them back as sons of God, to reject them their, their identity as sons of the devil because they weren't made for that. Yeah. And now the gospel begins in which we're going to see Jesus engaged in the midst of this exact thing, this exact challenge. Yeah. As a bridge, Annie, let me just give you a, one quote from uh, St. Leander of Seville. I don't know if it's Leander, Leander, I think. Leander. Heresies and schisms spring from the source of evils. And therefore, whoever comes to unity returns from vice to nature. For just as it is natural for many to become one, so is it a vice to avoid the sweetness of brotherly love. Let us then with our whole hearts be lifted up in joy that Christ has restored to his friendship in a single church the people who perished from love of strife. In this church, the harmony of love will again receive them. Of this church, the prophet foretold, saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. So here's the thing, is the heresies and schisms, as he says, spring from the source of evils. Now, I have to say something, because I've been speaking to maybe more of the pagan peoples, that we still have a a fundamental sad division um, between our Protestant brothers and sisters that remain outside the church. And and, and I'm sure many Protestant uh, uh, evangelical Christians participating today in in our Bible study. The word Protestant means protest. So if you're a Protestant, I ask you, what are you protesting? Because heresies and schisms spring from the source of evils. God desires us to be one. So if you've got a problem with the teachings of the church, you have a problem with the unity which Christ has established, the gathering, the ecclesia, the church, then we need to resolve that problem. Because you might be saying to me, Father, this guy's, come on. I'm, I, yeah, okay, fine. I'm called a Protestant, but I'm not protesting anything. Great. That's good news. Because then you can cease being part of a community which has severed itself from the church established by Jesus Christ. And if you're saying to yourself, I have not. Great. Then let's solve the problem once and for all. You call me on my cell phone, 703 703- 504-8733. 703-504-8733. Right there. It is my cell phone. I promise. 
and you and you call me and you say father i've got a problem with the church's teaching about mary i've got a problem with the church's teaching about original sin i have a problem with the church's teaching about the papacy i have a problem with the church's teaching about confession i don't know what else people have a problem with but those are the big ones right call me let's talk about it because if we can resolve that problem then we can restore you to the unity which god wants for you because he has called you and everyone else, myself included, to the unity established by him, which is the church of God, the gathering of God's people around him, which uh, still exists. Yes, it still exists because Christ said he would never abandon us. Yeah. Okay. So there's my little plug to my Protestant brothers and sisters. Give me a call. Let's work it out so we can solve all our problems. Matthew chapter 15, verse Matthew. 21 through 28. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 28. All right, here we go. At that time, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman of that district came and called out, have pity on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But Jesus did not say a word in answer to her. Jesus's disciples came and asked him, Send her away, for she keeps calling out after us. He said in reply, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the woman came and did Jesus homage, saying, Lord, help me. He said in reply, It is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. She said, Please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. Then Jesus said to her in reply, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And the woman's daughter was healed from that hour. Okay, lots going on yes. in this particular story father so um let's first of all um get our geographical bearings i'm kind of interested in this where is the region of tyre and sidon and why would jesus be going there sure well that's this are, those are two questions so let's go ahead and pull up our map here on the share screen now you can see the the layout with the 12 tribes as allotted after the exodus and then now you can see Tyre and Sidon up here to the northern west, northwestern side of what we would consider the Holy Land, the shore of the Mediterranean Sea, just south of Syria, uh, or touching upon it there in the north. But it's basically this is the northern coastal part of the Holy Land, um, an area where there were pagans still left. Tyre and Sidon had not been particularly repopulated, uh, at least after the Babylonian exile, but probably before that. And there's this region up there, Tyre and Sidon, which is considered to be the, the land of the heathen. Okay. Much like the land of the Gerasenes across the Sea of Galilee, right? Okay. So that's your that's the first answer to your question. The other question you had was why was Jesus going there? Oh, nice, nice. Actually, this is the more more interesting to me because it's a good question. Why in the world? Why didn't Jesus just like why? I guess you could say, well, he wanted to go out to the whole world. Well, no, the gospel says he didn't, right? So why did he go there? Well, the simple answer is the same thing I've been telling you or sharing with you guys in the last few weeks. Um, going back to and I keep going back to this passage. I apologize, but it's important. And that is chapter 12, verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and took counsel against him how to destroy him. Okay, so now we go to chapter 15, verse 1, because we've skipped this, right, Annie, in our lectionary yes. cycle. Yes, we Because did. the Feast of the Transfiguration fell on, okay. fell on Sunday, and therefore yeah. it was, yeah, skipped. chapter 15, verse 1. Then, Annie, let's go ahead and read from 15, 1 through verse 20. It's important enough to do it. Okay, okay. go ahead. All right. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? 
for they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, and why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And he called to the people, and he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. When the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted, will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and so passes on? But what comes out of the mouth but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So there you have it. But kids, wash your hands before wash you. Your <laughs> yes, exactly. So, Annie, why is it that Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon? I, I have a feeling that the Pharisees were not too pleased by this. Yeah, he he just got getting away to a place where they will not go. <laughs> That's right. No, exactly. So they, so they, he gets in this, in this, uh, in this fist fight with the Pharisees, right? And he starts. I mean, they, they lay, they lay it down, right? There. It's, it's, yeah. this is okay. So I, Annie, I don't want to get into um, this too much here besides the fact that there's this fight, because this is not our gospel passage. But basically right. what was going on at the time was that the Pharisees were claiming that the money they had could be dedicated to God and therefore not used to take care of their mother and father in their old age. Okay. So, so this is, this becomes this point and Jesus calls them out for, it, right? He's like, you guys are, you guys, you guys are twisting the law of God. Yeah. But of course, this is not our biblical, this is not our pastor we're going to look at today. We can go in the Old Testament to talk about this, but we're not going to do that right now. I simply point this whole section out to you to say the fight's there. Jesus flees to Tyre and Sidon to a place these guys would not go. Right. And there now encounters this Gentile world. Okay. Um, and uh, and then has these harsh words for um, this woman. Okay. So there yeah. you go. Okay. Yeah harsh words um is jesus comparing her to a dog because she's a canaanite i mean like why i, I i'm just kind of curious of the backstory here like what 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 makes her a dog in, so this, i mean okay. i know there's this, more going this, on here but this phrase was used regarding the heathens regarding the pagans at the time of christ you see it come up again by the way we can look at philippians chapter three just turn there very quickly Philippians chapter three. And by the way, while we're getting there, um, get out of your mind, fluffy, you know, your little dog fluffy. If you've ever been to the Holy land, okay. People don't walk around with fluffy. No, there are, it's like cats or like mangy, disgusting things eating the garbage out of the, it's they're They're not, no. So this is a, this is a serious put down right? Yeah. So look at, look at Philippians chapter three, verse two, two. Yeah. look out for the dogs, look out for the evil workers, look out for those who mutilate their, uh, their bodies, their, or their flesh, uh, and so forth. Okay. So 
this is this use of the term. I only say there, this use of the term is not unknown, right? Because they're acting in ways which are not in accord with the image and likeness of God for which they were made. Okay, they are acting like animals, and so um, this woman now. But but now now we have to bring another point, which I think is important. That this woman seems to have faith. Yeah, doesn't she? She's yeah. not. She's she's not a dog right i mean she's right. not an evil doer at least she's not now but she comes from a people now i'm going to just go back in your mind now to our isaiah reading okay and the this uh, that whole chapter in which is very clear that god is calling all nations to a conversion of life yes to a newness of life and this woman comes and and what do we know about her she says have pity on me lord son of david not bad right yeah. not bad in fact i've got a quote from saint hilary of poitiers who says this the canaanites were inhabiting the lands of the present day judea whether absorbed by war or dispersed to neighboring places or brought into servitude as a vanquished people they carried about their name but lacked a native land intermingled with the jews therefore these people came from the gentiles and since a portion of those among the crowds who believed were proselytes this canaanite woman most likely had left her territory preferring the status of proselyte that is coming out from the gentiles to the community of a neighboring people she was appealing on behalf of her daughter who was a type of all the gentile people so now right so she's oh, wow. she's coming to the lord this is why i love the fathers she's coming to the lord and yet her daughter is, is, is in need. She's sick. So she represents in the gospel text. It's not to say there's not a daughter and not this woman. This, these are real people that really existed. But yet in the, the gospel reveals them to us as, a, as an image of something more. Yeah. And that's what St. Hilary is saying. Wow. She was appealing on behalf of her daughter, who was a type of all the Gentile people. And since she knew the Lord from the law, she addressed him as son of David. For in the law, the king of the eternal and heavenly kingdom is referred to as the rod of the stem of Jesse and the son of David. This woman who professed Christ as both the Lord and son of David did not need any, did not need any healing. Rather, she was begging for help for her daughter, that is the Gentile people in the grips of unclean spirits. Yeah. Um, and this is so now St. Hilary is kind of expanding our reading of this text uh, a bit. And but then St. Augustine kind of brings us back home to this woman and, and to this ultimate question regarding the dog business. Right. So yeah. and this is the, his reading of this text is very in, much in line with the other fathers regarding all of the healings. Remember, Jesus in the Gospel of John goes to the paralytic. How many years was the paralytic at the pool of Bethsaida? Oh, gosh. Third like 30 or something like 37, that. I want to say yeah. 37 years. Okay. And what does Jesus ask him? What Hello. Do what you, are you doing? He says, no, he says, do you want to be healed? Yeah. Right. Isn't that John chapter, uh, I want to say John chapter nine. Nine, um, I think. Yeah. No, that's the blind man. Oh, okay. Yeah. John chapter uh, five. There it is. And uh, John chapter five, verse six. John chapter five, verse six, when Jesus saw him and knew that he had been lying there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Okay. Yeah. Now, just since we're there, I'm going to go up to verse five, the one who been 38 years. There it is. I was short years, a year. Yeah. Okay. 38 years. You Would you like to be healed? And the guy's like, dude, I've been here for 37 years. Okay. Now I'm not going to get into that gospel. But the same situation happens here, right? And Jesus goes into this country and and notice what St. Augustine says. Tyre and Sidon were not cities of the people of Israel, but of the Gentiles, although they were close, they were close to that people. She therefore cried out, eager to help, and kept insisting. But she was ignored, not that mercy might be denied, right? In other words, Jesus didn't go to the paralytic and say, You do you want to be healed in order to give this guy a hard time? right? But so that desire might be enkindled. Not only that desire might be enkindled, but as I said before, that humility might be praised. Yeah. So Jesus now encounters this woman and what appears as a, on a surface as a, as a really like a terrible thing to say to a person, 
um, he, he draws her to him and in that moment away from the old life. Yeah. And now maybe some would say, well, he should have been more gentle with her. He should have maybe accompanied her a little bit more, affirmed her. But no, he says he knows she's drawn called for more than that. And now knowing what's in her heart, she then confesses him. Um, and uh, um, and so there, there it is, Annie, the, on, the, on the dog business. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you have other questions about about this well now you answered my my last question which was to talk about it i mean it, it it seems very clear that they're talking on a higher level it kind of reminds me of when we we talked about the woman of the well how many weeks ago now um where it's like you i mean i that was in the gospel oh, that of john she read... and how john's always operating on these right. different levels but but i think i it it felt like when i was reading this passage that there was a similar kind of like there are several levels going on in this conversation. Right. So, so this woman represents in the gospel, the old world, the old life, right? The pagan world who's hungering, right? She's hungry, right? The dogs deserve to eat, right? She's hungry for the Lord and he just do asking to feed her. And so she's coming and that, that relationship also now kind of becomes beautiful. Yeah. There's one other aspect of this that we have to deal with though. It, for, for a moment and that is this question of why jesus says he's only sent to the lost tribes of israel what's he oh, talking yeah. about there yeah, what is hold that your about? hold your bible right there where you're at and just turn back with me to matthew chapter four matthew chapter four this is right after the baptism of the lord right at the beginning of his ministry verse uh, chapter four verse 12 it's right after the temptation in the desert he begins his ministry with these words now this is chapter four verse 12 of matthew now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went to dwell in Capernaum, by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, that, 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 that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, toward the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have been seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region, the shadow of death, light has, has dawned. We talked about this maybe before and past Bible says more, more towards Christmas, but who, who are these people? Well, Zebulun and Naphtali are the two of the northern tribes. These are the first ones that got conquered by the Assyrians before the Babylonian exile. They, they were the first ones to come under the region of darkness, right? Under the grip of, of the Gentile world. Jesus in his ministry is, 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 comes to reestablish. He goes back and gets them, like the Samaritans and so forth. He goes up into Galilee, spends all this time kind of recollecting, if you will, the 12 tribes, right? Yeah. Symbolized by the 12 apostles. And it's going to now be the 12 apostles' jobs to go out to the next generation, the next level, right? Yeah. So Jesus is going to do this ministry as a seed of what they're going to do in their ministry to go out in the whole world. And it's very important because he, of course, Jesus could have done this all himself. He, he didn't need this woman to come and say, my daughter has been needs, you know, healing. Uh, but yet he allows us to intercede on behalf of others. He allows Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. He allows Israel to be a light to the world. Why? Because he loves us too much to save us without us. He wants you to live in his image after his He wants you to be like him. My Protestant brothers and sisters, this is the most fundamental thing that Luther couldn't understand. He couldn't accept that God truly loved him. I know that's a really hard thing to say. It's a really dramatic thing to say. It's true. Luther struggled with scrupulosity, and he and he he started to give lose hope in the possibility of the forgiveness of his sins. So he had to change the definition of what justification is, leaving you in your sin while God changes His judgment about you. This is fundamental to Lutheran's doctrine of salvation. It's completely contrary to apostolic Christianity and biblical Christianity, in which God truly wants to save us, to transform us, to make us, as St. Peter says, partakers of the divine nature, that we might once again do what he does, namely become a light to the world. Jesus himself is the light shining in the darkness, Gospel of John chapter 1, and then he calls us to be a light shining in the darkness, this is what he's done. He uses and allows this woman to be to intercede on behalf of her daughter, 
just as much as he allows his mother to intercede on behalf of us because we've been incorporated into him as this woman now is being incorporated into Christ. Yeah? Yeah. So there it is. The church going out into the world. This is what we should be doing. And then bringing the salvation of, of, of God to those who are in need. And well, this incorporation that you're talking about, I was reading the epistle and I was saying how, you know, like I said at the beginning, it's kind of sad that we skip over such a huge portion of uh, Romans chapter 11, because what you were just saying is exactly what St. Paul was saying in the the part that we skip in the yes. epistle. But this idea that we have been incorporated into Christ very much what, what Paul is saying. Here. It's what, it's what St. Paul always talks about. Why? Because the moment of his conversion becomes the, the, the point by which he interprets everything. Now, St. Paul uh, uh, hears Christ speaking to him and says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? me. And it's from that point, he realizes that the Christian has actually been incorporated into Christ. He begins yeah. to understand what the body of Christ is, the church. So everything about St. Paul's theology is about that. Romans chapter six is the, is the kind of the touchdown, touchstone regarding baptism to be baptized into Christ. Yeah. And so, so all of Romans, but yes, Romans chapter 11, all of this is leading up to what we have in our passage, which is a Romans chapter 11, verse 13 through 15 and 29 through 32. But we can read this passage now, Annie, in that light. And notice there's a beautiful thing now that is going to happen because God's not going to give up on those that refuse to shine the light. He's going to actually allow others to shine the light back on us. So go ahead, Annie, and, and read our passage for us. All right. This is Romans 11, 13 through 15 and 29 through 32. Brothers and sisters, I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I glory in my ministry in order to make my race jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Just as you once disobeyed God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now disobeyed in order that by virtue of the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. For God delivered all to disobedience that he might have mercy upon all. Isn't that, I love that last line. Wow. It's so beautiful is the mystery yeah. of God's salvific work. And I oftentimes in confession, we speak with, uh, uh, with the penitence about this, that th this, this, just this, this line for God delivered all to disobedience so that he might have mercy on us in the moment of the fall, when we were cast out of paradise, the Lord did. So he cast us out of paradise so that we may not remain in our sin, yeah. right? Turn with me. We'll turn it one passage. Don't give up. We're almost there. I can see the finish line. Look at this in Genesis chapter, uh, in Genesis chapter three, three, the last part of the, um, of the passage, Genesis chapter three, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, are you with me? Genesis chapter three. Yep. I'm here. Verse 30, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, unless you put forth his hand, take also from the tree of life and eat forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the garden, till, to till the ground from which it was and so forth. And I ask, why didn't God want us to live forever? Yeah. St. Ephraim, very beautifully, says, because if we had eaten in our fallen state, we would have lived forever as though buried alive. We would have been in hell for all eternity separated from God. Therefore, God in his mercy cast us forth from paradise, or we should say, let us walk away from him, so that he might bring about our salvation. You see, even in the mystery of our sin, the Lord is going to bring blessings out of that situation that we find ourselves. He's going to become now our healer. And so in some way, 
and then be this is pushing it too far. You say, Father has guys gone too far. Well, I'm saying this. We might, at least in our repentance, rejoice in our sin because of what God has done for us. And the blessing he's going to bring out of it is going to be greater than the sin itself because the Lord is more powerful than the devil. So whenever you have a crisis in your life, whenever sin abounds, look out. God is about to do a mighty work. But that doesn't mean that we remain in our sins. It doesn't mean that we wallow in our sins or that we accept our sins. We call them out for what they are. Having confessed them to the Lord, we open up our life so that he might act there in the midst of that and restore us to the kingdom of God. And I, I, I say that here because we can now begin to see how it is that the Lord can work among the Gentiles so that even those that were outside of the church might through their conversion to Christ and their return to the church call us who have received so many gifts back to a restoration that through their sin and their restoration to God's kingdom, we might be called back to a restoration of God's life. The Christ our God be glory both now and ever and into ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.